بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على سيدنا ونبينا بيان سورة الحجرات سورة نمبر 49 آية نمبر 14 أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم قالت الأعراب آمنا قد لم تؤمنوا ولكن قولوا أسلمنا ولما يدخل الإيمان في قلوبكم وإن تطيعوا الله ورسوله لا يلدكم من أعمالكم شيئا إن الله غفور رحيم سورة الحجرات which discusses etiquettes how Muslims should behave with the Prophet ﷺ, how they should behave with each other, and how they should behave with mankind in general. And then the final chapter in the surah deals with how they should behave with Islam and with Allah himself. So in this ayah, ayah number 14, the background is that the tribe of Banu Asad, which was a warring tribe, uh, wanted assistance from the people of Medina because they were suffering from a drought and they had no crops. Basically, they had very little food. So they saw in Islam an opportunity to benefit from the world that at that time after Fatah Makkah the Prophet ﷺ and the Sahaba gained a lot of wealth and a lot of produce would come into Medina and Medina itself was growing a lot of produce also. So invariably people in the time of need will always move towards the resources where they are available. So this whole tribe came in with their leaders and uh, needed assistance. But they were very arrogant and rude and uncouth about it. That's why it says, قَالَتِ الْعَرَابُ The Arab, the Bedouins, who do not know the sophistication of urban dwelling. Uh, we must appreciate uh, that when people are not used to a certain sophistication, a certain culture, they will come in the way they are. They come in with their baggages or they come in with their subculture and they come in with everything that they are used to. So when they came into Medina, they made a very dramatic, you know, uh, entrance they didn't know how to use the bathroom properly and they were pushing and shoving people in the market and they were demanding people to give them goods at a very low price and so on so very, very uncouth which is what the word Arab suggests as in the other ayah Al-Arabu ashuddu kufrun wunifaq Okay, that those Arab who are nomadic in life, they 
don't understand how people in dwellings and urban areas live and behave and so on. So they came to the Prophet also and they demanded that he give them respect because they have come into Medina without fighting them and out of their own accord they have come in and they started to claim that they were good Muslims and so on. So this ayah came down to reprimand their behavior and also inform to inform Muslims uh, later on after the Prophet that he must be careful uh, when people say they are Muslim that he must uh, now let their actions speak louder than the words and not just take everybody on face value. Yes, if they say they're Muslim, they're Muslim, mashallah, but they're you know, their behavior has to be in line with the standard Muslim behavior. Because there is a general standard Muslim behavior that has to be observed at all times by all Muslims everywhere. And if people fall short of that, then uh, you should take them with a grain of salt and not assume that they're very pious and they're well-intentioned and so on. That's just for the security of the of the town and the city, and so on. Anyway, so this ayah says that the Arab say they have believed. Amanna. Qul lam tu'minu say to them, O Muhammad, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, you have yet to believe. You have not demonstrated that your Islam is genuine. Walakin qulu aslamna, but rather, you may say we have uh, accepted Okay. that we have accepted Islam in the sense that we are outwardly Muslim and we observe a few things that Islam says. Iman has yet to penetrate your heart. You have not demonstrated through your behavior, through your action, that Iman has taken root. This obviously is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to say, but he knows uh, where Islam resides and where it does not reside. But it's also for the Prophet ﷺ in the idea that the, Allah says, Qul. Uh, he's addressing this to the Prophet ﷺ, tell them that they have not believed yet. They have yet to believe and demonstrate they are good for Muslims, good for the community, good for themselves, and so on. So there has to be, as I said, a standard measure of uh, good Muslim behavior in order for you to treat people uh, like they are genuine Muslims. It doesn't mean to say that you, you, you drive them away from Medina. It doesn't mean to say that you don't allow them to be in the masjid and so on. So the munafiqun were also there. They, they also said outwardly we believe and they were not believers inwardly. So this is in reference to the you know, the signs of nifaq that the Prophet ﷺ mentioned to the Sahaba early on in Medina, that there are some signs of nifaq hypocrisy that you'll be able to measure through these signs whether a person is genuinely Muslim or not. And those were enumerated on a number of occasions by the Prophet ﷺ. Here, the purpose of the ayah is not to go into polemics, and it's not to debate the idea of what's the difference between Iman and Islam. That's not the point 
of the ayah. So you mustn't make this ayah a reason to go into polemics. Those discussions are reserved for the classroom. They should not be brought to the street level so that people start fighting about this is Iman, this is Islam, this is Iman, Islam. No, that belongs to academia. Uh, you may study it there, you may discuss it there and keep it there. Don't bring it to the mimbar so that you confuse people. Iman, Islam, they're almost synonymous. Functionally, they're the same thing. Okay? So we have to be careful here that we don't overdo things as we want to be sometimes more intelligent than we actually are. And just for the sake of, you know, being the song and dance of every dinner party, uh, we go into these futile discussions of polemics and dialectics and we want to show people we know something when you actually don't know anything. The purpose of these ayat is to encourage Muslims to become better Muslims. It is not to open the floodgates of polemics and all of these munazat and all of these subtle discussions that require a certain amount of knowledge before you discuss them. They don't belong on the dinner table. They don't belong in the masjid. They belong in academia, in the classroom, where people who are qualified may go into these discussions only for the sake of discussion, usually not for the sake of takfir. It's not for the sake of calling people gafirs that you go into these discussions. So the idea is that, yeah, alhamdulillah, you have said you're Muslim, and you have Islam, and that's about it. Now you have to work on your Islam so that it now evolves into Iman. It becomes a higher level of expression where if Iman is in your heart, you will practice Islam willingly and effortlessly, without any pain, without any reservation, and it will be natural like you're drinking water. You'll be able to now... Uh, taste the water, swallow the water, drink the water, and so on. So until that time comes, don't say, uh, don't say that you have Iman. You don't have Iman yet. So Iman has to be established by action. It has to be proven by action for yourselves, not to other people. So if you're now saying that I, I'm, I want to be the leader of the Muslim Ummah and you don't pray, and you don't fast. So you can see where this ayah then would apply there also, that you're going to give a great lecture on the Islamic political theory, uh, but there's nothing Islamic about you. So that's not representative of Islam. You cannot represent Islam until you have proven to yourself and to others around you that you have a standard level of Muslim behavior. Okay? Unless there's a transparent level of Muslim behavior, you cannot be in any leadership role. And that is perhaps the, uh, one of the major faults of the U.S. American Muslim society, that anybody who is anybody will be there leading on the podium with the microphone, telling Muslims what to do, what not to do, and so on. But there is, as I said, a normal standard of Islamic behavior, which is very obvious, meaning salat is obvious. You must show people that you are doing salat. Fasting is obvious. And then giving zakat is obvious. Doing hajj is obvious. Having good manners and ethics and good behavior is obvious. You're following the seerah of the Prophet, along with the sunnah, not just the sunnah. 
that you do the sunnah in salat, salam, zakah, and hajj, but you don't have a seerah, that your ethics and moral behavior is not something that people testify to. People must testify to your behavior according to the seerah. If that is not there as a social hmm, convention, then we will not accept you as a leader in the ummah, as a leader for the community, and so on. So here Allah says, وَلَمَّا يَدْخُلُ الْإِيمَانِ فِي قُلُوبِكُمْ that you, Banu Asad, you came into, uh, you know, Medina with a chip on your shoulder, and now you're going around uh, telling people as if you're doing Islam a favor, uh, which is what this ayah is saying also. Hmm? Yeah. So we see, وَإِن تُطِيبَ اللَّهُ رَسُولَهُ لَا يُلَدْكُمْ مِنْ أَعْمَالِكُمْ That if you are going to obey Allah and Rasul, meaning there's obedience there, uh, in the sense that you are willing to give up your authority for the authority of Allah and the Rasul. So itaa uh, means that you give up your wilaya, you give up your authority. I don't have any authority over and against the authority of the Rasul. If the Rasul says this, then that's it, finish. No, there's no debate, there's no rationalizing there, there's no analysis there, you do it, because he said it. You don't need to understand why he said it, you do it because he said it. So if you do obey Allah and the Rasul, his Rasul, then none of your actions will be reduced, there will be no decrease in your action uh, whatsoever. In Allah, Khafur, Rahim Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is very forgiving and extremely generous with his rahmah. So he knows human beings are frail. He knows human beings fail. He knows human beings are weak and inconsistent. And if you ask for tawbah, for maghfirah, and you make tawbah, Allah will come back to you. He will forgive you. But then you must reform yourself and then move on. And he will then dispense his rahmah to you according to your ikhlas and according to your actions. And so, so this is a social order that if you are a Muslim, you mustn't uh, show the Muslims you're doing them a favor by being Muslim. That's not the way you carry yourselves. And that's not the way you dominate and dictate upon others. And so this is what Banu said was doing. Uh, we're adding uh, to the population of Muslims. We're a huge tribe. And you should now revere us and respect us because we're bringing power and authority to you guys and so on. Yeah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't like that. Allah is the one that has favored you in terms of giving you iman and giving you Islam and so on. Anyway. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرَسُولِهِ ثُمَّ لَمْ يَرْتَابُوا وَجَاهَدُوا بِأَمْوَالٍ وَأَنفُسٍ فِي سَبِيلِ اللَّهِ أُولَٰئِكَ هُمُ الصَّادِقُونَ Here Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lays down the platform for Muslim behavior socially that as a social convention, the believers are those who believe in Allah and His Rasul. Belief in Allah and His Rasul when it is expressed openly, publicly, you cannot be a closet Muslim. There's no such thing as a closet Muslim. So sometimes we get into, you know, these kind of very um, fantasizing modes and moves. Oh, he's a closet Muslim. What the heck is that? What the heck is a closet Muslim? There's no such thing as a closet Muslim. He's either Muslim or not a Muslim. 
if he does not take the shahada, he's not a Muslim, period. Whether he's in the closet or whether he's in the dormitory, it doesn't matter. So he mustn't fall for that. That is stupid. There's no such thing. Well, he might as well be a Muslim. Well, he's not. Either he is or he's not. Well, he's close to Islam. Well, he's not Muslim. Then Allah gives hidayah. You can't make that judgment. He is, I mean, yes, you do everything you can to bring him into Islam. That's what you should do. Rather than make these stupid statements, he's almost a Muslim. You're Muslim because Allah wants you to be Muslim. If you want Allah to make him Muslim, then you do the job instead of fantasizing and so on. So here Allah says, Those who believe in Allah and the Rasul, they are believers. No one else, anyone who falls short of this is not a believer. So you can say he's a good person, he's a good human being, but he's not a Muslim. Yeah. So here in the social convention, Islam has to be in public. There has to be testimony. Ashhadu, I testify. Testimony is in public. Testimony is in court. We have witnesses. Testimony is social. It's not esoteric. You don't do it in secret. That I'm a secret Muslim. There's no such thing. So there we have to be... The other issue is that you're allowed to hide your Islam if you fear your life. That's called hiding your Iman. It's not called being a closet Muslim. Yes. If people don't know you're Muslim, then we won't bury you as a Muslim. Very simple. We won't count you in the registry as a Muslim. In the census, we won't count you as a Muslim. That is simple for everybody to understand. So it is good that people are close to Islam, as uh, you know, the, the, the Arabs during the time of the Prophet. So the most of them were close to Islam. Quite a few of them, actually, very close to Islam. Abu Talib was close to Islam, but he was not a Muslim. So here this ayah is, is about the social convention, that it has to be demonstrated socially in public that you are willing to testify that Allah is one and Muhammad is his last Rasul. If you're not willing to do that, you're not a Muslim. So this unwillingness to come out of the closet and expose yourself does nothing for the person. You must do this because that is your surrender, that is your submission, that is your, you using your free will to freely say you are uh, who you are. And that's called transparency. So that's why the next now, uh, part of the ayah is exceptionally important. And then they do not waver. After they say they are believers, they don't waver, they don't shake, okay? they're not skeptical, they're not in doubt. Meaning that once you say you are Muslim, then that is it. You cannot have any doubt about lam yartabu from the word raib. There's no doubt at all left in your mind that Allah is Allah and the Rasul is a Rasul. Thumma lam yartabu, unflinching that nobody can move you, nobody can shake you. Uh, it doesn't matter what the other members of the human race do, you are still a believer. That is now the, the, the uh, ability of a Muslim to become a mu'min, a believer. 
And so your iman evolves, your Islam evolves and it grows in such a way that no one can shake you and force you to become a non-Muslim. So there, if you have doubt, those doubts have to be repelled. Those doubts have to be taken care of. Those doubts have to be, uh, you know, answered so that you remain a Muslim and you don't become a non-Muslim. So this is the standard for all Muslims that they have to believe in Allah and the Rasul and then they must now stay there permanently and then Iman then becomes a constant in your life. It doesn't change. And then the other social conventions, part of your iman is that you must sacrifice with your wealth and with yourself. So mujahada is now necessary that you're willing to do something for Allah and his Rasul. If you just pray five times a day and you're not able to meet a challenge in the community, in society, or when you are needed with your wealth, and when you're needed with your time, you're not willing to sacrifice, then you still don't have Iman. You might be a Muslim, but you don't have Iman yet. Iman means that you are all in. So if there's a need in the community, and God forbid that these needs are social, they can be individual, they can be familial, meaning based on the family needs, they can be other needs that the community always now faces. So you must contribute something outside of zakat. So I give zakat. <laughs> zakat doesn't ibadah. You have to do that anyway. Like you, I do salat. Okay, subhanallah, mashallah. Allah give you more tawfiq to do the hundred. That's not enough. That's simply not enough. That's a basic standard. What well, this mujahada means something extra. That you see someone in need, or you see a project that needs you, or your money, or your contribution, and you see, you see the ummah needs you, then, then you know there's an earthquake in Afghanistan, and then are you contributing to that? And, okay, there are many causes locally, nationally, internationally, that do you participate in those anywhere? Your local masjid needs you. Do you care for your local masjid? That's a need. That's mujahada. You're sacrificing your time and your money to make sure the local masjid, which is the house of Allah in your neighborhood. So in your neighborhood, you have your house. And then you have your mother's house. And you'll have your siblings' houses. And you have your relatives' houses, your friends' houses. You're very concerned about those houses. Are you concerned about the house of Allah? So that mujahada has to be there, that you must contribute to the house of Allah in your neighborhood. Because that's where the rahmah is, that's where the nur of Allah descends, on the masjid. And from the masjid it comes to your house. Do you participate in any way, contributing to the masjid, regardless of how much money it has or doesn't have? The mujahada is on your part, not on the object. Meaning that if there's a fakir there and you're giving the fakir, then the, the fakir takes your sadaqah and stores it for you until the day of judgment where you'll be rewarded for that. Okay, so the fakir is doing you a favor. That's not the, the issue. Is are you willing to participate? Not because somebody's in need, but because you want to participate, regardless. 
So this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is defining iman here through very visible action. So after iman, there's action. What is your action? One action is that you don't have any doubt in your iman and in your Islam. The second action is that you're willing to sacrifice something for Allah and for his Rasul, and you contribute to the social conventions of need uh, for the community. And this, obviously you have to define them, make sure that they're okay, and they're actually Sharia-compliant projects in the first place. But still, it is uh, your impulse that makes you a believer. If you don't have that ability to sacrifice, then you're not there yet. You, you can get there through hard work, which is what mujahada means. Mujahada means hard work. Nobody says easy. Masjid needs money all the time. It's not easy to go there where you can contribute towards the masjid. Yeah, people think Islam has to be easy. No, Islam is mujahada. You must feel a pinch. If you don't feel a pinch, there's no mujahada. Jihad means you sacrifice your life. So I'm sure that's more than a pinch. Huh? Uh, you, you're living in luxury and you say, oh, I want to be a good Muslim. That ain't happening. You have to sacrifice something. Mujahada, juhud. There's perspiration involved in you earning Jannah. You can't earn Jannah in your luxurious lifestyle and you have now, uh, you know, parties everywhere and you're doing this and that and enjoying life. You can do that too. But this won't be the stand of mujahada. Mujahada then also more than, along with money, not more than money, along with money is sacrificing your time. Can you sacrifice some time, quality time? I don't mean the time that you have already. The time that you don't have, spend from that time. Because that's the mujahada. Mm, yes, it's a mindset. Oh, I have this to do, I have these things to do, but I'm also needed here, so what do I do? Do I sacrifice my time, or do I do this? So the key word is sacrifice, mujahada, juhud. Juhud means struggle, that you have to feel a pinch somewhere. Then if you do that, with wealth and with yourselves, selves requires time. So you do this because you are in love with Allah and the Rasul and you're in love with Islam. And you love the Muslim Ummah for whatever it is. And so on. Fi sabillah, in the path of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everything's in the path of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. If the knee is there and the work is good and ikhlas is there, inshallah. Ula'ika humus sadiqoon. Here the, 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 the uh, maqsad, the purpose is to achieve sidq, truthfulness. Okay. Are you true to your iman? Are you true to your statement that you believe in Allah and his Rasul? Are you true to that convention? Uh, are you true to that order? If you're true to that order, then you have iman. But it requires sacrifice. It will not come without some sacrifice. Sadiqun meaning that you are not lying. Okay. And you honor your own word. So if you have testified that Allah is one and Muhammad is Rasul, then are you going to keep your word? Are you going to keep yourself honest? So there has to be checks and balances. There has to be introspect. This is not about gauging other people's iman. Unfortunately, one 
most people, when they read the Quran hadith, they always apply it to other people. Uh, they say, I, I can mention this person. He needs this. No, no, you need it. You need it much more than he needs it. And the reason why he's saying he needs it is because you need it. You're being a hypocrite. If you're applying every eye of the Quran and every hadith to other people, then what's your role in this? Hmm? Yeah. So that's the key. Sadiqun, that you are truthful to yourself. You're honest to yourself. That you want to show you that you are a truthful person, you're a man of your word. And so on. And this is how Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is exhorting yeah, Muslims to become better Muslims and encouraging Muslims to become better Muslims and encouraging Muslims to be part of the Muslim social order that we need in order to remain Muslim at all times, inshallah. Is it that you are going to teach Allah about your deen? I mean, referring to the Banu Asad who came into Medina with this attitude. Are you telling Allah that this is what Islam is? You can't do that, meaning that you have to learn Islam from uh, the Prophet He teaches you what Islam is and Allah teaches him. So you follow the convention. And that the convention is that you learn first before you speak. And before you represent Islam, you must learn Islam first. You can't speak about Islam if you don't know anything. You'll usually miss the target and so on. So this attitude is prevalent, unfortunately, in the Ummah when people shoot from the hips and they say whatever they say about Islam. And then you have these, uh, you know, People who pervert Islam, distort Islam, and then really, really demolish Islam piece by piece by not appropriating Islamic knowledge uh, from where it belongs. Okay, so this is about Banu Asad. But you can see now, you can make khiyas on this, you can draw an analogy to our situation. Everybody on the planet, they have an opinion about Islam. Um, and then it is their opinion that counts. And unfortunately, the more money you have, the more influence you, are, you have, the more uh, people will listen to you or hear you, at least, if they don't listen to you, and so on. So this is not about doing Islam a favor. Islam is doing you a favor. Allah is doing you a favor. That in terms of truth, in terms of knowledge, Allah is the one that teaches you. Wallahu ya'alaw ma fi samawati ma fi and the reason for that is because Allah knows everything in the heavens and everything in the earth. You don't know anything. What do you know about the heavens and the earth? You know nothing. You don't even know how your own body works. You don't know how your psyche works. You don't know, you know what your children are doing. You don't know what your family is doing. You don't know anything. And you're out there saying, I know Islam. And I know what Muslims need. I am the savior of all Muslims, and so on. But it has to be done appropriately through the Quran and Sunnah, through the knowledge of the Sahaba and the Tabi'in. You follow that convention. We have an order and we have a system. It's not that Islam is unorganized. Islamic knowledge is anything but unorganized. Islamic knowledge is the most organized convention in the universe. There's pedagogy involved. 
There's a basic fundamental salvational knowledge that is fardain for everybody. And then there is knowledge above that in layers and layers and layers and layers and layers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you will not stop learning about Islam and Islamic knowledge. Uh, and that is just the truth. So here Allah be Ali. Allah knows everything, so your connection to knowledge must be uh, to Allah, not to your nafs. It must be through the Rasul, not through your imagination and your fantasies and your fallacies and everything else that comes along with it, not through your speculation. So this is also another huge ayah for the Ummah at all times, but especially nowadays when, as I said, everybody, mashallah, want to be attached to Islam and everybody wants to let everybody else know I know Islam. Okay, if you know Islam, you will learn. The proof's in the pudding. Are you willing to learn about Islam? If you're not willing to learn about Islam, then you're not a believer. Believers, they learn. They're in the quest for knowledge at all times. This was the hallmark of our civilization, that everyone who was now knowledgeable in Islam always continued their uh, the quest for knowledge at all times. Nobody stopped learning. I want to learn more. I want to learn more. So the, the, that passion drove the ummah uh, to become, you know, what, alhamdulillah, it became. This has to be revived at a personal level and at a level of a movement that wherever you see people discuss Islam, this is good, alhamdulillah, mashallah, Allah give you more and Allah give you ajr and so on. But at the same time, you must encourage people to learn more all the time, not stop. If you stop, you will become stagnant. Okay? So if there's an issue that you think you've understood, you have not understood it 100%. So you need to learn more about that one issue. And that is how the Sahaba were. That is how the Ta'abeen were. MashaAllah, alhamdulillah, Imam Shafi, alhamdulillah. You say that, Kullama izdattu ilman, izdattu jahlan. Every time I increased in knowledge, I increased in jahl, in ignorance. Because I found out I don't know anything. That's Imam Shafi, one of the greatest uh, you know, alim of the ummah. I always sought more knowledge, so you have to seek more knowledge. You don't stop on one convention, you don't stop on one point. I've understood this. Once you say, I've understood, then you stop. Then you've closed the door of more knowledge for you on that issue. So never say, I've understood everything. Okay, that's not the adab. That is khilaf al-adab. That is not the convention of the Muslim ummah. Muslims always left many doors open, even for one issue. Never mind anything else. It's iman itself. When I say, I believe in Allah, what does that entail? Well, I, I believe. Okay, okay, what else is there when you say, I believe? What are the other dimensions of iman, and how do you increase your iman, and you know how do you become close to Allah through your iman? Do you know that? And the answer is no. Okay, then learn that. And when you learn that, you learn something else too. So the more you realize that, the more you learn, the more you don't know. Then you will learn more. But if you stop by saying that I know, I know how to read Surah Fatiha. I have ijazah in Hafs, and then I have ijazah in Arba'in Nawi, 
I, I've done, done 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi with the Shaykh, he gave me ijazah. MashaAllah, subhanAllah, Allah give you barakah in your ijazah, but there's a bit more than that in Islam. <laughs> the community needs much more than that, much more than community service. It needs to develop institutions that are parallel to the, you know, the um, Western institutions and then beyond that. Muslims should be leading the academic narrative, not following. We used to lead academic narratives when we were a civilization. We dictated the tempo. We told people what to think about and what to write about, what to discuss. We told people what to learn. So we were there. This ayah is now showing us that you must learn from the Rasul, from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Wallahu ya'alaw ma fi samawati wa ma fi al-ard, because you'll never know what's in the heavens and the earth. You don't know anything about the heavens and the seven heavens. What do you know about the seven heavens? Do you know anything about the first heaven? Never mind the seven. Then do you know what's beyond the seven heavens? There's a kursi. And do you know what's beyond the kursi? There's a arsh. Do you know anything about that? Do you know what's in the earth? Do you know how many layers you have? In the earth, and do you know how many species we have on earth? And the answer is no. Then what do you know? So Allah says, you don't know anything. <laughs> this I am saying, you don't know anything. So learn. The more you learn, the more you'll be closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because Allah is Allah Allah knows everything. So if there's a thing that exists, Allah knows it. Do you know everything that exists? No. So that's now the, 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 the uh, nasiha in this ayah, is that for Muslims to learn and promote knowledge, eventually when you do that, you'll be the leaders of the academic narrative in the world. Okay. Until you do that, you will not be doing anybody a favor, so first do yourself a favor. يَمُنُّنْ عَلَيْكَ نَسْلَمُ and here the final two ayat is speaking of what I just said, that they seem to think that they're doing you a favor by accepting Islam. They come into Islam and they have a chip on their shoulder. Okay, we're here, now take care of us. That's not the attitude you need. You're here meaning you have now access to Jannah. That's your reward. Your reward for Islam is what? You have access to Jannah. That is the greatest reward. Allah promises you Jannah if you have Islam. Allah doesn't promise you a good life or He doesn't promise you, you know, a job or anything else. The Rasul never promised any Sahabi a job when he became Muslim. They all struggle. So that's a social convention. Now, the Muslim Ummah must take care of itself through mutual cooperation, that's a different thing. But you can't demand that Islam gives you a luxurious lifestyle. That is the incorrect uh, approach. I'm not talking about just people who come into Islam. I'm talking about born Muslims that uh, assume that because uh, they pray and they do this, Allah has to answer all their du'as. Allah has to take care of all their problems. Allah has to give them a luxurious lifestyle. And so that is not how you see Islam. Islam is not to be secularized in the sense that Islam gives you providence and glory. 
and success in the dunya. That is a secular understanding, which is anything but Islam. Islam promises you Jannah, which is after you die. Not in this world. The greatest benefit for Muslims is that, alhamdulillah, they have a key to Jannah. Allah give us all Jannah. But we cannot secularize. So all these movements that want to secularize Islam and say Muslims must do this, this, okay, you can do this, this, and that. Say you have the greatest infrastructure in the world. Then what? Will you still be at peace? Will there still be violence in your country, in your backyard, the south side of Chicago? There's infrastructure there. There's no peace. There's no security. You have Roe versus Wade. <laughs> half, half the U.S. nation is divided. That They want to kill each other in the name of either saving a baby or killing a baby. I mean, that's the bottom line. Uh, meaning that I- infrastructure is there for convenience. And you should have infrastructure. There's no doubt. And you should have jobs available. You should have now uh, financial stability and security. There's no doubt in that. But that's not why Islam is there. Islam can regulate that through the Khilafah and everything, which is one of the maqasid, no doubt, of Sharia. But it's not the be-all, end-all. So if you don't have now a Muslim government, are you eligible for najat and salvation? That's the question you should ask. If the answer is no, then yes, you're right. Islam is secular. But if you are living somewhere uh, in the jungles of the Congo or anywhere else in the world which is very remote, can you attain salvation? If the answer is yes, then Islam is not secular. And the answer is yes. It doesn't matter what kind of government you have, social structure, infrastructure, whatever, outer structure, it doesn't matter. If you believe in Allah and Rasul, and you believe in the Akhidah, and you do Ibadat, you have access to Jannah. And that is the major purpose of people becoming Muslim. The major purpose cannot be to make this world a better place. It is one purpose, but it is not the be-all, end-all. So we will work towards social justice. We will work towards now fighting for human rights and making sure no one violates anyone else's rights. We will work towards that. But at the end of the day, if there is no Muslim state... Are we eligible for, for Jannah? Like us in this country, there's no Muslim state here. So, Muslims of USA, are they eligible for Jannah? If you're not, you're doomed. <laughs> All of us are doomed. Right? So, you have to see the woods for the trees. You have to make sure you see the difference between what is eternal success and what is success in this dunya. Okay? So, one leads to the other, maybe sometimes, maybe it doesn't. Who knows? Only Allah knows. But there is something, and we fight for, you know, uh, fight against injustice because it's also our path to salvation. When somebody is now committing injustice, we are required by Sharia to fight and to defend that person because it's part of our path to salvation. So the purpose you have justice here. And you fight for justice here is because you want to enter Jannah, not because it's justice here. Okay, so there, there's a much higher, much more noble reason why we do things this way and not the other way. Okay? So we do things because we follow the Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's the convention we follow. 
So here Allah is saying, don't make your Islam a favor upon me. Allah is the one who is now giving you a favor, doing you a favor by guiding you towards Iman. In Kundam Sadiqin, if you are truthful. Okay, so Iman Billah, Iman Bil Rasul is the, uh, the most precious commodity on this planet. If you see Islam and Iman as a commodity, you'll take care of it. But if you don't see it as a commodity, you won't take care of it. You'll go over the other commodities, and those commodities are passing. They're temporal. They don't last. They come and go. Iman stays with you in your grave, stays with you in your mahshar, the day of judgment, stays with you in Jannah. So Iman is the everlasting, eternal gift that Allah subhanahu gives you. If you, if you now spoil it, adulterate it, and you pervert it, and distort it, then you are doing yourself a very huge injustice. So this is now, doing Allah a favor is not an attitude you need. Doing Islam a favor is not an attitude. Uh, so when you go out, Allah takes the work of deen from you, then you must see that that work is Allah's tawfiq, you're not doing the Ummah a favor by doing the work. That's how the awliya always behaved mentally. They, they had a lot of adab with Allah. They did not assume that their work is theirs. The litmus test is when somebody says, this Allah's fadl and this is all the dua of my mashaykh, then you know he's in sync with the Rasul. If he says, I did this, then he's a shaitan. Don't follow him. I'm telling you categorically, don't follow that person. If a person says, this is Allah's tawfiq, and these are du'as of my mashaykh, du'as of my parents, then he's okay, he's okay. If he says, I'm doing all this work, don't follow that person. He's a shaitan. He hasn't uh, refined his nafs. He's still in his nafs state. He's always about me, 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 me. He's egotistical. So even in the work of deen, you need this adab of not doing Islam a favor. You're not doing Islam or the Muslims or anybody else a favor by doing the work of deen. Allah is doing you a favor by giving you the tawfiq to do the work of deen. So that standard doesn't change for anybody. So Allah's fadl. If it wasn't for Allah's fadl, you'd probably be doing something else. Right? Like millions of other people, they do something else. They don't do this. So they're the adab of the awliya and... Uh, all the ulama, inshallah, the only of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they must now also acquiesce to the standard that whatever work Allah is taking from me is his fadl, his tawfiq. As Shu'ayb al-Islam said, ma tawfiq is only with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they don't, uh, they, they, they don't ascribe their actions to themselves. They say this belongs to Allah. That is the test. If you see that in the Ummah, now unfortunately, uh, because every Tom, Dick and Harry, they're, they're the masters of the mic, and they go to the mic and then say, I was born for this. Every function you go into, I was born for this. They own the mic, they own the platform, they own the audience. So I'm doing this, I'm doing this, it's all me, 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 all egos. There's no barakah in that. And the proof is in the pudding, there's no barakah there. With all those functions, there's no barakah, there's no ikhlas. Mm-hmm. So this I is saying to all people, not just 
the Banu Asad, that they came in with a chip on their shoulder, is saying to everybody who does any work for Allah and Rasul and for Deen, even their Salat, they must appropriate that to Allah, not to themselves. That's the adab of the Sahaba. That's the adab of the Anbiya, that's the adab of all the awliya, past and present. They will never say, I'm doing this. They will say, it's Allah's fadl. The first thing that will come out from their mouth is, it's Allah's fadl. Alhamdulillah. These are du'as of the mashaykh. These are du'as of my parents, and so on. That is the test. If people say and shout, I'm doing all this work, I'm doing this, this, that. How do you know Allah has accepted? Has Allah accepted your work? You don't know until you die. <laughs> and you don't want to wait until then. So you start saying, Allah is the one. So this is what Allah is saying. In kuntum If you are truthful to believing in Allah, believing in the Rasul, then you will not appropriate your actions and your achievements to yourself. You will always return it to Allah where it belongs. Then you can't show this and then talk about it, boast about it in front of your family, in front of other people, uh, in front of uh, students, in front of whoever it is. It's Allah's for them. It's all the will of Allah. And that's where the barakah is. The more barakah you have, the more work you do. And that is how, inshallah, the cycle is completed. In Allah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the hidden secrets, the ghayb of the heavens and the earth. Okay, in the first ayah, Allah knows everything in the heavens and the earth, but there's also another level of knowledge in the heavens and the earth. One is the outer knowledge of how things work and what they do, and there's the inner knowledge of the reasons behind uh, the things that Allah created in the heavens and the earth, known as the ghayb, the unseen, uh, that uh, only Allah knows. Uh, so Allah's knowledge is eternal, it is absolute, and he shares his knowledge maybe in a very minuscule way to human beings. Okay? It's not enough. Uh, human beings don't have the capacity to know and understand what Allah knows and understands. It's just uh, you know, sprinkles of Allah's knowledge that comes upon the brain of a human being, the heart of a human being, that's all it is, a sprinkle. Yeah, nothing more than that, because the human being cannot tolerate that amount of knowledge, nor the weight of the knowledge. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is always seeing what you do. He's always observing what you do. So he knows what you do. And so he knows your inner, he knows your outer, he knows your near, he knows your action, he knows how much you know, he knows how much you don't know. And so on. So now this is the adab with Allah. Hmm? As I mentioned, the surah is all about adab. Adab with the Rasul, sallallahu alayhi wa Adab with the Muslims, uh, Muslim community. Um, adab when Muslims are fighting. Adab uh, amongst Muslims themselves in, in social conventions. Adab with humanity in general. And adab about your iman, Islam, and adab with Allah. This surah al-Hujurat, uh, this is the Inshallah, the final eye of the surah. We make dua, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us to recite surah Hujarat. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to understand the surah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to implement all the ahkam in the surah. Inshallah. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala khil khilqhi. Muhammadin wa alihi wa sahabihi ajma'in. Bi rahmatika, ya rahmatika, ya rahmatika, ya rahmatika.
الحمد لله